as Hugh said, we're in a series on Abraham that we've been in for several weeks now, and we've titled the series Abraham, Friend of God, because Abraham was known as a friend of God. Abraham was a friend of God because he was this ordinary man who was willing to believe God. Even when he didn't have anything to go on, he was willing to put extraordinary faith in the promises of God over his life. As Hugh mentioned last week, his faith went up and down at times, right? If you know the story of Abraham, you know there were times he didn't make such great choices. Because for most of his life, all he had to go on was the promises of God. That's all he had. He didn't have the Bible to read, right? He didn't get to go to church and be encouraged and people to prophesy over him every week. He had the promises of God over his life, the word spoken, and most of them he didn't even see come fulfilled in his lifetime. So he didn't have much to go on. But he believed God. He believed God. He trusted God. And he repeatedly was willing to believe God. And because of that, nations and people everywhere were blessed through him. Abraham didn't walk in fulfillment of a lot of the promises over his life for most of his life and didn't see many of them even after he died. But he believed God. And he imagined he had to encourage himself in the Lord all the time, right? He had to encourage himself in God and say, but God said, I am blessed. Like we said this morning, I am blessed. I'm anointed. He, I'm sure, had to tell himself that on his journey. Abraham is continually mentioned in the New Testament as this role model of faith, how God used this ordinary man who was just willing to obey and trust in him. And I'm going to be sharing about Genesis 17 this morning. So if you guys want to find Genesis 17 on your phone or your Bibles, and you can follow along, I'll also have some of the verses up. Last week, uh, Hugh shared on Genesis 16, as you know, we learned about a painful detour that Abram and Sarai took on their journey, walking into the promises that God had for them, and that was Ishmael. Remember, God had promised them a son, an heir, a promise that was so much bigger than them, this promise that had so much more to do with God's bigger plans to reach the world than it had to do with them, right? It wasn't just about them having a baby but it was about his plan to bring salvation to everyone. But they couldn't always see that, and they're human, and in their flesh, they at times made it about themselves and about the immediate gratification. And we, we do that too, right? Sometimes we think the plans of God for our lives are just for us, but his plans are so much bigger than us, and we can't see them all, but we oftentimes just make them about us and the immediate when actually his plans are so much greater than we can imagine. And it always involves him wanting to reach people for him. We're a part of God's kingdom and a part of his plan, which automatically makes our lives not all about us. So if you weren't here last week, Sarai and Abram had lost perspective a bit, which is understandable. They were in their 80s now, and they still had not had children. So in their weakness and kind of attempt to hurry God along in his journey, they decided to take matters into their own hands. And Sarah offered her servant, Hagar, to Abraham to wed and for them to be able to have a child. And then they had Ishmael, something that was legal to do then and normal to do then. We think it's crazy, but that's normal back then. So now this was a mistake, as we know. This was them taking matters into their own hands, and it robbed them of their peace. It robbed them of the peace of God, and it affected generations. So Sarah's scheming and Abraham taking this passive approach as a husband 
cause them a delay, a significant delay in the promises of God and rob them of their peace. After Ishmael, we know there was 13 years of silence from God. And there were 13 miserable years. Miserable because Ishmael was in their home and the presence of him in their home caused conflict and caused fighting. And I know for me, I know this, and maybe some of you know this, Anytime there's conflict or fighting in the home, it's enough to bring misery, right? When you have to be around it all the time. So these 13 years were miserable years for Abram and Sarai. But after this 13 years, God's grace came to them in a fresh way. God came in a fresh way, in a new way to Abraham. And he comes and reveals himself to his friend in a new way. Let's look at verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. He gives this new and fresh revelation to Abraham that he is God Almighty. In the Hebrew, the name is El Shaddai, and it means the all-sufficient God. The all-sufficient God. It means essentially God knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. He's in control, and he is sufficient to meet all of Abraham's needs. And he's revealing himself to Abraham as all-sufficient and all-powerful, who nothing is hard for. He's able to do everything he said he'll do, and he doesn't need Abram and Sarai's help to do it. This new revelation of who God is transforms Abraham and Sarai. How many know here when God brings revelation to us, it changes us? It changes us when God gives us this revelation of who he is. Why is God revealing himself to Abram and Sarai this way at this time? Because he's about to tell them that they're going to have a son, that Abram is going to have a son with Sarah. At age 99, and Sarah is 90, they're going to have a son. The impossible. God is about to do a miracle. And so he needs them to know who he is. Not Abram and Sarah in their own strength, but God, the almighty, all-powerful God, the all-sufficient God, is going to do the miraculous. And he's the same God today. He's the same God. He never changes. The God of Abraham is our God today. The God of Sarah and Isaac and Jacob is the same God today. I needed to hear that this week. God is still all-sufficient. In every way, he is all-sufficient in our time of need. And he's totally able and in control and capable. And he will do everything that he says he will do. And he doesn't need our help. That's amazing. He doesn't need us to hurry him along and make things happen. He's the same. And he's sufficient for me today, and he's sufficient for you. In every time, in every season, in every situation, he's sufficient. With greater revelation comes greater responsibility. Let's look back at verse 1. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I'll make a covenant between you. So God tells Abraham to walk before him and be blameless. That's kind of stressful, right? <laughs> so the Bible says Enoch and Noah walked with God, but here he's telling Abraham, walk before me and be blameless. So his eyes are going to be on him. He's going to be watching Abraham. He's watching him, and he needs to be blameless. That stresses me out a little bit. I think I would feel like I need to be perfect, and I need to check all the boxes, and I need to make sure I'm not doing anything wrong ever, not saying anything wrong, not thinking everything wrong, that I'm sinless. But we know God wasn't telling Abraham to be sinless. He wasn't telling him to be perfect, because that's impossible. And the only person who's sinless is Jesus. 
We cannot be sinless. So we know he wasn't telling Abraham, be sinless. He was referring to Abraham's devotion to him, to his worship of him, to his heart, surrender to God. And at this point, Abraham became single-hearted and undivided in his loyalty and his devotion to God. And that's what Jesus, that's what God was speaking of when he was speaking about being blameless. It's not outward behavior, or conformity, and performance that God is looking for. Never. Doing all kinds of good deeds. That's not God, what God wants. The secret of living a blameless life before God is our worship of him. It's our worship of him. Our devotion, our surrender. Abraham now had this new heart. When we first come to know Jesus, we don't really know what we're in for, right? You don't really know. When you say yes to Jesus and you put your trust in him at salvation, you don't know what that means. But then you start coming to church, you start making small changes in your life, and you maybe lay some things down, maybe start reading the word, maybe start praying once in a while, talking to God. And then slowly the Holy Spirit begins working in us as we walk with God longer, and he convicts us of more things and shows us areas that we need to surrender to Jesus as we grow in our intimacy with him and see him for who he is we grow in our worship of him we grow in our worship we don't live till 99 I don't think like Abraham so we need this to happen a little sooner than that but <laughs> so remember back in chapter 15 God tells Abraham he's his shield and he's his very great reward that God is his reward so Abraham with all the promises that he had these amazing promises over his life God says, I am your reward. Not the promise. Not the promise. The promise isn't the prize. Jesus is the prize. And we also get our eyes on the promise. We also get our eyes on what, God, what the plan is for our life. When Jesus says, he is the prize. He's our reward. Sometimes I get focused on the promise, and I think that's the prize. But Jesus needs to be our first. And he needs, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, because he is our prize. And like Abraham, as we grow in our devotion to Jesus, he leads us into fruitfulness. He leads us into blessing. We don't make ourselves fruitful, right? We don't make ourselves uh, blessed and fruitful. But as we keep our eyes on Jesus and we keep him the prize, he leads us into fruitful lives. It's not freeing. It's freeing for me. And God gave Abraham a new name. Because he had this new revelation of who God is as the all-sufficient God and his new heart response that's wholehearted in his devotion to God, he gives Abram and Sarai new names. Let's look at verse 4. Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. So in the Bible, when someone experiences a profound spiritual transformation, oftentimes they get a name change from God because they're not the same. And one other thing in this chapter to note is it says, God says, I will, 12 times in this chapter, just emphasizing that he will. He will do these things. So the name Abram meant exalted father, and the name Abraham means father of multitudes. It's as if God was saying, you've been about your own exaltation and your own glory, but I'm changing your name and I'm making it about my glory. I'm making your life and the promises of your life about my glory. 
and the fruit of your life, I'm receiving the glory. And God waited until they were unable to make it happen in their flesh, until it was impossible, so that he could get the glory. The promise of God over our lives are not about us either, but about him, about Jesus' glory through our lives. So Sarah gets a new name too, from Sarai to Sarah. It's clear that Sarai was not an easy wife. The name Sarai means contentious one. And I think she was a bit argumentative. She had a hard life. She had a hard life. How many times was she offered up to some king to save Abraham? I mean, she had a rough life. She was barren. So, you know, that's probably understandable. But God gives her a new name as well. And in the New Testament, Sarah is remembered as this woman of faith, a role model of faith, gentle, quiet in spirit. Um, It gives me hope because... We aren't always remembered for our bad qualities or our bad moments, but God is gracious, and we can leave a legacy of faith, a legacy of being remembered for our faith in God, even though we mess up at times, because God is good. So can you imagine people's reaction when they heard Abram's name change, that he's going to be Abraham now, he's going to be this father of multitudes, and he's 100, and he doesn't have any kids, well, he has Ishmael, but you know, he doesn't have his own, and I think they're probably thinking, this is crazy, right? God had said to Abraham, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth who can count it and as numerous as the stars in the sky. And God had said that to him and Abraham believed that and that's what he had to go on. Even though it was crazy to think that. That's all he had to go on. The promise over Abraham came true though. Abraham's descendants include the whole Jewish nation, the Arab nation through Ishmael, And everyone who puts their trust in Jesus is a spiritual son or daughter of Abraham. It's a spiritual descendant of Abraham. Those who put their trust in Jesus. So that's the multitudes. Galatians 3, 6-9 talks about this. talks about how Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Just like when we're saved and we put our faith in Jesus and him alone to save us, we receive the righteousness of Jesus credited to us no longer seen for our mistakes, our sins. We're not perfect, but we don't have to be. We have the righteousness of Jesus credited to us. And Abraham was the first who had righteousness credited to him based on his faith. And so we're spiritual descendants of Abraham. And we, if you rely on your works, if we rely on ourselves to save us, our good deeds, or all the things we can do, we're not saved. We're saved just by faith in Jesus and relying on his work on the cross. So I guess I don't, I think I'm nearing the finish here. I am. I haven't done that long. I haven't gone that long, but I, that's okay. God's not done. I've, I've still got, I've still got some, uh, some notes here and some conclusion, but I wanted to just say how often do we think our lives are just about us? I know I do it. Any immediate and what's now, and what we see, like Sarah and Abraham. But actually, God's plans are bigger, and they're so much bigger than us. He wants to impact nations and cities through us. He wants to impact. His plans are so much bigger than us. And we forget. We forget. We just don't always see that bigger picture, which is why we need to live by faith. We live by faith, and that's how Jesus gets glorified. He's glorified when we live by faith in him. Living by faith is the only answer to following Jesus. It frees us from having to figure everything out. 
We can, like Abraham, believe Jesus and put our trust in him. You may say, God doesn't speak to me like this. He doesn't come like he did to Abraham and give me all these specific words and promises. I don't know what you're talking about. But we have the word of God. We have the word of God. Abraham didn't have the word of God, remember. We have the word of God and we have the heroes of our faith who have gone before us that are in the word of God. And in the word of God is over 3,000 promises and every single one of them is for you. Every single promise in the Bible we can claim. Every single one. That's amazing. All of those promises are for us. And we have the heroes who have gone before us as an example of how to live by faith. Again, I want to emphasize, because God just showed me again this week, he's the same God. The same God that was there for Abraham and that had plans for his life and then asked him to walk by faith and trust him with simple faith and keep this undivided worship to Jesus is the same God today. The same God who can do the miraculous in our life so that he can get the glory. When we just continue on in faith, Continue on walking by faith and trusting him. Just as faith justified Abraham and saved us, it's still our faith in Jesus that matters today. Our willingness to keep believing Jesus instead of being a skeptic or a cynic or just seeing with our natural eyes. It's so easy to be like that. We're in a nation like that. But we are people of faith. We are people of faith who says, my God can do it. My God is sufficient. So put all your trust in him. Put all your eggs in one basket. People say that's not wise. It is wise when it comes to the promises of God. Put all your eggs in one basket. So just as our journey starts with trust and faith in Jesus, we continue on in faith and in trust of Jesus. Not always seeing. Not always seeing. Not always feeling blessed, but knowing we are blessed. Not always seeing the fruit but trusting Jesus. I wrote down several evidences that we're living and acting in true biblical faith. First, when we act in faith, we're mostly concerned with Jesus getting the glory. That's our main concern. Not how well we did and our successes, but the glory of Jesus. That's our main focus. Second, we're willing to wait on God. We're willing to wait. It's hard to wait. We don't live in a nation that waits because we like everything now but we're willing when we live by faith and act in faith we're willing to wait and say god i want what you have i'm not going to take matters into my own hands i'm not going to try to sort this out on my own i'm trusting in you and i'm waiting on you to show me and in the waiting god builds faith in us he builds our character he makes us stronger in the waiting third we're acting on the authority of god's word we're not acting on us knowing and having it all figured it out and seeing the future and seeing the end. We're acting on simply the authority of the word of God. God said it. It's good enough for me. God said it. That's enough. I don't need to know anymore. God said it. Done. And that's what we act on. It's just that simple obedience that James exhorted us a few weeks back when he was here of just saying yes to Jesus. And fourth, we have God's joy and we have his peace. When we live by faith, God fills us with joy and he fills us with peace. And God's peace transcends understanding. It transcends circumstance. It transcends conflict. It transcends turmoil. It transcends everything. 
And we can live in that joy and peace when we act in faith and we keep trusting in God. He fills us with supernatural joy when we're just trusting in him. Trusting he's going to do it, believing him and his word, putting all our eggs in one basket. I'm going to put all my eggs in one basket. And I encourage you guys this morning to do the same. Maybe. So I think God just wants to reveal more of himself this morning as all-sufficient in our time of need and give us fresh grace. Fresh grace for whatever season we're in. There's waiting. There's hard seasons. There's times of questioning. And I just know, just like he came for Abraham to give him fresh grace, he can do the same for us and reveal himself again as all-sufficient for us and the God who can do it and has it under control and allowing us to just be able to surrender more to him. Just give more to him this morning.